Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 54 of the Speaking Club podcast. In today's show, one of the things we talk about are the benefits of being strategically lazy, a skill which my teenage daughter uses masterfully in relation to tidying her bedroom. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. If you feel overwhelmed by the pace of change today and want to discover some of the secrets of staying relevant and on top of your game, then you are in the right place. My guest today is Sophie Devonshire, brand expert, business leader, speaker and author. And she's sharing lessons from her life and experience, as well as insight and tips from over 100 senior business leaders whom she interviewed for her new book, Super Fast, Lead at Speed. We talk about the power of the pause and why Elon Musk should embrace it, strategic laziness and lots, lots more. Before we head over, make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on the wisdom and the shortcuts coming from the great guests and solo shows I've got lined up. And if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review, which will help other people find it and will make me very happy too. Now, over to me and Sophie. Welcome to the show, Sophie Devonshire. Great to be here. Cool. It's really nice to have you. And I'm really looking forward to picking your brains on lots of things, including the new book, which is imminent. So I wondered if you can, first of all, define brand for us, especially I think it, it can get confusing today with the rise of the influences in marketing. So what is it, what's it all about? Mm, absolutely. I think it is a confusing term. One of the simplest ways of thinking about it is that a brand is a shortcut. So it's a promise that's made to your audience, whatever that audience is, and then it's something that's delivered in everything you do. But it's a shortcut to what you really stand for and what you promise. So there's a, there's a very traditional definition of brand, which I think is still relevant to be aware of, um, and I learned by heart a few years ago. Um, there's a great guy called John Murphy who founded Interbrand 20, 30 years ago. He was the first person to use the word brand. And he defines it as a trademark, which through careful management, skillful promotion and wide use, comes in the minds of consumers to embrace a particular set of values and attributes, both tangible and intangible. And the reason that brands are so confusing, I think, is because, of course, they are tangible and intangible. They are things you can see and things you can experience and intangible things. And they can be a, a product, an organization, or they can be a person, you know, brand Beckham. Um, yeah. And I think Jeff, Jeff Bezos always says, um, a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, which I think is a great way of defining that idea of a brand being a shortcut to something. So just you're curious, actually, because you just mentioned Beckham, brand Beckham. So I think they've both got different brands or do you think they've both got the same brand? Such an interesting question. So the real expert on this is the founder of Caffeine, Andy Milligan, who wrote a book called Brand It Like Beckham. Uh-huh. And that was specifically about David Beckham and what he's done over the years with his brand. 
I'm a bit of a VB Posh Spice fan, and I think her brand is has been phenomenally skillfully managed. Um, and I do think they're different. And I think the way in which they complement each other at the right times and are used in partnership is quite a good example of how brands can work together to help each other. Um, but I think she's I think she's great um, as a female business leader and as somebody who understands that we operate in a world where people are looking for clarity and to understand what celebrities stand for and she's used her brand very much to her her advantage are they, are they always the same thing or can it be different for you know person-based brand versus a company like i know nike versus yeah versus david beckham or i guess colin Kaepernick could be now a brand i know he's he's working with nike but he has his own brand as well i would imagine now yeah i think um, personality brands are and celebrity brands require different management or different things and uh, can be complicated. I think the question about organization brands has become even more important today, uh, more so than ever, because people are looking to understand not just Nike as a product, but actually Nike as an organization. And brands today are actually built inside out. So they're built inside the organizations, as well as just being a lovely bit of marketing sticking plaster on the side so actually thinking about your organization brand and how that attracts brilliant people to come and work for you and how it influences consumer purchases has become really, really important for businesses and organizations. That's, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you about this. You know, um, when you're a speaker starting off or business starting off, should you think about what you stand for first i guess kind of like you know that simon sinek or cynic or however you pronounce his surname start with that why first and build out because not everyone thinks that way at the start do they no and i don't think this is about being inauthentic but i think if you're thinking about yourself as a personal brand um that's quite useful if you're going on a if you're trying to develop your career or if you're trying to think about how you're communicating yourself, if you're a speaker or, or, or trying to uh, promote yourself. And I think the phrase personal brand sounds a little bit cheesy and, <laughs> and uncomfortable. But if you think about the shortcut point, when you meet people for the first time, when you're trying to raise your image, whether it's internally inside your organization or whether it's to help promote you outside your organization, it helps to be clear on what you want to stand for and what you believe in. So you've just talked about this question about the why. So I think it's very useful to talk about your, what's your personal purpose? What is it that motivates you? What do you want to be known for? And if you think about that, that helps you define what your values are. Um, and again, these are all words that people find really cheesy, but they're useful in uh, making sure you're communicating the right thing. Because if you want to be known as being a very down-to-earth, straightforward person in your organization, but when you are communicating, people around you are telling you that you're coming across as a bit too slick and a bit too um, polished, it's really useful to have that insight that the way in which you're communicating is not necessarily true to what you're like. So just a whole question, both with general brands and with personal brands, make sure you know what you want to stand for and that you are communicating it in a way which is true and transparent and clear.
Cool. I get that. So, so it's about getting that congruence between what you aspire to be like and what you're actually like and closing that gap if you can or repositioning if you just can't do it, I guess. Yeah. Which is worth, worth doing if you're looking at uh, trying to reposition a brand as in a product brand or an organization brand. And it's worth doing if you're working with a coach or with somebody who's helping you um, how, work out how to accelerate your career or how to make you happier at work. Um, or how to make you more effective in connecting with the right people. Brilliant. So let's talk about you then. And, and I guess it's a nice segue into how did, you know, how and why did you get to do what you do today? What's your sort of, what do you stand for, Sophie? Uh, well, it's a bit of a squiggly story because <laughs> um, I've done a, a few things despite being terribly, terribly young, obviously. Um, I have always, start my career, found business really, really interesting. And I've also loved working in teams and understanding the problem-solving nature of business. Um, and I've ended up having a relatively squiggly career because I've moved around for personal reasons, um, but that's given me very different opportunities. So in my career, I've worked in big, multi global multinational organizations, um, client side. I've been an entrepreneur and set my own business from scratch. It's very, very different when it's your own money. Um, and I've been a consultant and um, I've worked in advertising. Or, you know, everything very much around brands and about people and how you motivate people. So I was, I started, I was really lucky that when I left university, um, I ended up in a great place. So I started my career with Procter & Gamble in Newcastle. Um, which having been a soft southerner my, my whole life, <laughs> living in the northeast was fantastic. And right from day one, I loved Procter & Gamble. The culture there was full of really smart people with a good sense of humour. It's very team-based. And I found the psychology of working with brands and working with teams to get things done just fantastic. And when I left Newcastle and wanted to go down to London, I left Procter & Gamble and went to work for Coca-Cola, thinking same thing, big American-based multinational, um, all about brands. Um, but actually, although I made some great friends there, and I'm still friends with people from there and from P&G, it was a much more individual culture, and the culture was different, and there wasn't that sense of, of, of shared team. So I think one of the things about understanding your brand is understanding how you what situation helps you perform um, and be happy and enjoy it. And I didn't enjoy the culture as much. So when I found out about this thing called um, brand consultancy um, and Rita Clifton, the CEO of Interbrand came to Coke, um, I took a job there instead. And I love being a consultant. Some people make the switch from being client to being either an advertising agency or a consultant and they, mi they miss the, the sense of actually making things happen but I quite like the fact that you discover so much so quickly about different organizations and it suits my butterfly mind. <laughs> Anyhow, I loved, I loved, loved working for Instagram work with lots of different you know, charities and um, businesses, helping them with their brands. But then I moved to Dubai. So I lived in the United Arab Emirates for three years, which was very different. Um, and I worked for Leo Burnett, American advertising agency there. And we covered advertising in Saudi, where we got an ad banned because a little kid kissed his mother and it was considered indecent. Oh, and my we word. Also, 
<laughs> it was a really interesting experience. And also um, advertising, working with the, the businesses in Dubai. And Dubai may not be the perfect place when it comes to human rights, but it's a fascinating place from a business point of view because things happen really fast. Um, and I worked with a team of people from all kinds of different uh, backgrounds, so Lebanese, Palestinian, Jordanian, Emirati, you know, a real mix of religions and backgrounds, and I learned so much from them. So that was a great experience. Moved back to London knowing I was going to be moving overseas again, so I set up my own business um, from a back bedroom. Um, thought, how hard could this be? Um, <laughs> And it was an e-commerce business, learned a huge amount. Um, after three years, the business had grown and I moved overseas again to live in Estonia, so from hot to cold. Wow. And Estonia is a great place to be if you're interested in tech and um, the internet because they're very digitally enabled. Fantastic, fantastic place. They're so innovative. But I did move there with a three-year-old, a baby who's 10 weeks old, and at the time of the massive economic crisis, 2008, and a business that was only three years old. So that was quite challenging, yeah. but survived it, came back, sold the business, um, and then joined Caffeine in 2014 as CEO. And I always known the team that had founded Caffeine, now 11 years ago, and loved their mission. So Caffeine's all about stimulating business, and our, we believe that business can have a fantastic role in the world, um, that it can create purpose, wealth, and dignity. Um, and we believe in stimulating business for the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So I was very motivated to join because of that um, and because it's such a great team. So that's how I ended up um, wow. bringing, bringing the different experience I had working in businesses to help clients because I, I can't it helps me understand the pressure they're under and what they're going through yeah it's sorry good if you've had that. no 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 it's good it's good that if you've had that that experience yourself of, of having your own business and it, it makes you better able to relate I just want to backtrack very quickly and very slightly before I talk a bit more about caffeine so you mentioned about Dubai and how quick yeah. things were do you mean in terms of speed of implementation? I think this is going to be interesting too, because I think it links into something we were talking about your book later. And do, do you, if it was speed of implementation, do you think it, and I don't know if it is this way in Dubai, I'm making an assumption that there's a lack of bureaucracy. Is that true? And does that help with getting things done? Do you think? Yeah, I think there are all sorts of reasons for the, uh, the way in which things do happen at speed there, but it's, it's intoxicating to see. It's exciting. You can, um, somebody will say, I want to make this happen, whether it is as ridiculous as I want a ski dome in the middle of the desert. And it does. And that is partly to do with the way in which the decision making process is set up. It's often an impatient leader with a lot of power and lots of money who can make things happen. But it actually translates into quite a mindset. And I think that was very motivating for me in setting up my own business, that sense of giving something a go, being able to get it started, see what happens, the sense of making things happen fast that I'd seen people do overseas. I wanted to bring that to what was happening in, in Britain. And when I set up the business, um, I was surrounded by lots of other entrepreneurs who were starting to think that way. And over the last 10 years, that sense of, 
excitement and thrill that people get from creating a startup and seeing it grow and scale up has become much more part of British culture. Mm. Um, and obviously there's a big Silicon Valley influence around that. But that sense of we can make things happen um, versus the bigger, more bloated organizations where, where it's bureaucracy internally or externally, things weren't happening. I think having a bit of a global perspective and seeing it elsewhere helps you believe that it really is possible and want to make it happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that might be the case, but I, I, it, it's good to sort of to get into that because that's, I think this is the thing. So many people have great ideas, but procrastinate and fail to implement and then someone else comes in and, and steals the show. So I think that's a, you know, that's something as a sort of an entrepreneur that I've been learning to do is not overthink it sometimes and you can always pivot, but it's really, really good to know. Cool. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. What I want to turn to now is caffeine. One of the, I had a look at caffeine and I, I've spent a little bit of time with you, not masses, but, and, and certainly from something that you said earlier, what seems to be a golden thread uh, in caffeine and also I think comes across in your personality is sort of keenness to have fun. Is that true? And how does that re- sort of reflect in what you do and what the business does? Very interesting that you're picking up on that. I think it's critical. Um, we are a business that continues because our clients enjoy working with us they recommend us to other people um, and they want to work with us more than once and we often run for example quite intense leadership strategy sessions where we're dealing with some very very difficult challenges and a sense of fun can help energize all the the hard-working people in the the room and energy is, is really important but I think, it, you know, I'm not sure I, I would ever overtly talk about what we do is, is always fun um, because to the people that we're helping, things can be really quite serious and there's quite a lot of pressure, especially we work with senior leaders who take a lot of the responsibility on their shoulders. So we have a recruitment policy within Caffeine, which is very, very strict. And we recruit people um, who don't take themselves too seriously. So that's the sense of fun. Because you get quite a lot of pomposity in business and you know a lot of um, uh, over, you know ridiculous buzzwords in branding particularly. But um, so we, we like people who don't take themselves too seriously, but they do have to be people who take business seriously. So the fun has got to be on top of the results and making a difference. But it can it can make it can make a huge difference. And and businesses it is fun. It's, it's thrilling. It's exciting. It's interesting. Um, and trying to take away the pain for our clients to make it more so and to let them see the thrill of the business growing fast. That is definitely fun. Excellent. Okay. That's good to hear because I'm a big believer in it doesn't have to be either or in business. And I think you get a lot more out of it if if you if you you know don't sacrifice the fun at the expense of the serious i think that's that's good to hear cool okay and now let's have a talk about this book of yours so i understand it is coming out tomorrow yes yes (laughs) excellent exciting good so uh yes so it will be out by the time uh, you you are listening to this podcast people so i'll be putting a link in the show notes to it but let's talk about it so it's called super fast lead at speed and i've read the synopsis i haven't read the book yet because it's not out um but i 
from, I got the sense that this is almost a handbook for helping your brand and your business stay relevant in a world that is changing at lightning speed. Is that right or am I off the mark there? So there's a lot you can do to help your brand and business stay relevant. But the truth is, it always starts with the leaders of the organization, the people in the organization. And this is a book to help people working in business and to help them get the pace right. And it's full of tools, techniques, tips, ideas for how you can either speed things up or work out when to slow down, how to to manage the pressure of moving fast, but also sometimes to speed things up when you're feeling impatient. So, you know, the truth is every single person out there is talking about disruption, change, acceleration. And we can all see the rate of the acceleration in the business world. You've got technology, stacking on technology, and you get this exponential growth that just keeps getting faster. And I wrote the book partly to help the friends and clients I had who were looking at the rate of change and they wanted to navigate it in a way which is responsive, but also quite responsible as well, because there's people involved. And I think there are very exciting opportunities out there. The way in which technology has changed has made it more and more possible for people to start up and challenge the big companies. Um, it's made it more and more possible for people to try something new and test it out. But it is exciting, but at the same time, a lot of people are finding it quite exhausting. There's that sense of overwhelm, right? I think quite a lot of people are feeling this in, in this super fast world. You've got the expectation of your customer who wants everything to be Amazon Prime, whatever category you're in, even yeah. when you're making a, you know, a, a jet plane or um, something a lot that takes a lot longer. Everybody's, our customers are getting more impatient and the bosses are getting more impatient and the investors um, are expecting that things can happen fast. In a world where Uber goes from nothing to $58 billion valuation in five years only, um, and Airbnb celebrated a million hotel rooms the same year as Marriott celebrated reaching a million hotel rooms, and it took Marriott 86 years to get there, and it took Airbnb seven years. So it's moving fast, and everyone's expecting more, and then people inside business are trying to work out um, how not to be in a rush, um, how not to um, get how to get the pace right. Really, um, we know the what that the disruption is hitting every industry, but now we need to work out the how. So how people can respond in a way that feels like it's at the right pace for them, um, and that they can enjoy the ride rather than feeling overwhelmed by it. So it it's I wanted to research this because of the people I, I uh, worked with who are suffering this and because I feel this too. I'm excited, but I'm exhausted by it. And, and the research process was fantastic. And I wanted to write it partly because um, I discovered relatively early on in the process that women don't write business books or certainly they don't publish them or certainly they're not as well known. And I suddenly realized this was really frustrating. I had something to say about it and I wanted to be the person that shared these stories to help people um, and a voice that was out there and that happened to be female. Oh, brilliant. That's that's good. And I, I think, so just listening to you talk and, and from what I read, in my head, I had this sort of surfing analogy. I've done surfing <laughs> and, and 
and it, and it's, when you talk about slowing down and speeding up and and I think you talked about you know about things crashing down and it's about getting that sweet spot isn't it where you can yeah. ride the wave so you don't go too fast or too slow yeah, but you're right. yeah. I always have that picture of someone touching that inside of the wave but that that sort of brought that to mind so this will help you get the pace so you can you can sort of ride it all the way into the beach and enjoy it yeah but there's a bit there's a bit there there's a bit I talk about in the book about um people needing to have ripple intelligence right because everyone's saying here's this trend here's this trend your company needs to move in this direction and working out which of those ripples are turning into waves fits well with your surfing analogy are you any good at surfing I, I i switched to bodyboarding just because <laughs> you've got the flippers to get out there <laughs> so it made it a bit easier so i do love it though i love watching it as well but uh, yeah amazing cool and so yes tell me about a little bit about the research because i i there's a lot of work that's gone into the making of this book isn't there um mm. just tell me kind of what happened and what you did to sort of get the insight the research bit was incredible fun, actually. And when you talk about fun, and it was really interesting. So I spoke to 100 different leaders across the globe um, from different types of organizations. So I wanted to get the perspectives from those who'd started high growth startups, you know, and lots of the obvious people, people who'd um, spoke to Matt Britton, who's the Emir president of Google, the Googles of this world. Um, but I also wanted to speak to the people who were managing the super tankers. So Paul Polman, who's the global CEO for Unilever. You know, how do you keep those super tankers moving at the right pace when actually there's lots of jet skis nipping at their heels? Um, so I wanted to understand those who are managing big companies, um, those who are you know, really seeing high velocity growth. Um, I spoke to people like the head of the Joint Intelligence Counterterrorism Unit. Oh, wow. Fascinating to look at how she is working out to, how to make the world safe tomorrow, um, but also for the long term. People dealing with the short and long term priorities as well. And what I wanted to, to get was different personalities, different um, types of organizations, just to see enough stories and ideas and tips and techniques from other people to be able to share for those people reading the book because I think we all know the only thing that all successful people have in common is that they're successful right yeah. <laughs> yes but there, but being if you want to move faster one of the quickest ways of doing that is to look at what's happened before and steal make like a magpie steal from other people so I wanted to do the research to bring together some of that theory to help other people get the right pace. That's brilliant. Yeah, modeling the best and making it fit you is that's that's great. And and let's talk about now you mentioned about women and not many women have written business books. Why did you ever think about why that was? Do you have any ideas? Um and and why was it important to you to do this? It's an interesting conversation I've had with a few people. And it feels like the parallel of the conversation a lot of people have been having in the last few years about why there aren't more women in comedy. Yes. So you yeah. may have a point of view on this. Um, and I'd love to get into this more. I'd love to understand what the stats are for the number of manuscripts that are business books. So obviously it's changed in literary fiction quite well in the last few years that more women are, are having 
more dominance in the literary world. But in the business world, absolutely, if you look at the top 10, they're, um, and top 20 at any time, they're often books about diversity as well. So they're often women's books rather than business books written by women. Um, and there are some great exceptions to this. But what I don't know, because I don't have data, is um, is it that women are writing fewer books or that they're not getting published? So I don't know what the um, acceptance rate is by publishers. Or is it that it's, they're not being promoted as well? So I'd love to understand it a little bit more um, and see if there are things that can be done around that. Um, or is it that, that we start from a lower base size because there are fewer CEOs or experienced yeah. women who then feel confident enough to talk about it? You know? and, um, and it may even be the other dimension is that we may have a bias internally, whether we're women or men, that we, we will go to a man, we will pick a man's book first because we have and make an assumption that they'll be better. I don't know. I'm not, I, I haven't got it myself, but some of this stuff is, is intrinsic and, and unconscious, isn't it? Yeah. And I'd love to know if, if, if your listeners have any theories about this, because I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think some of it might, may also just be um, the blockers that we all have anyhow and the imposter syndrome and the trolls yeah. may be particularly challenging. You know, I certainly, one of the hardest things in writing the book was not getting the content, not thinking about it all, but the bit when I was facing the white page and I suddenly started worrying about what people were going to think about it. So I had to actually work through um, and focus on what I was trying to do with the book to get past that. Blimey, okay. And did you, I, I wondered whether you had any trouble getting access to the people that you interviewed, or was that quite easy? I, I cannot believe how generous people have been. Um, I've met the nicest, smartest people. Um, and, well, it wasn't getting access. It was me feeling audacious enough to ask. <laughs> Back to that um, imposter syndrome, yeah. yeah. So um, there's, a, there's a great quote from um, Verve Kiko, right? The, uh, the, the widow. Like champagne, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she was an incredible businesswoman, right? Oh. She, she led the business through you know, wars and revolutions, all kinds of challenges, took it over from a man, made it, you know household name of it all. Um, and towards the end of her life, she wrote to her uh, granddaughter, um, and this is an 1860 mind, and she said, the world is in perpetual motion and we must invent the things of tomorrow. Act with audacity. And I just love that call to action of the way in which you make things happen in a super fast world is to act with audacity, to be a bit cheeky, to push yourself, and actually to get access to these amazing people was through the generosity of friends and these people recommending other people, but also through me feeling audacious enough to actually say, would you mind? Can I? <laughs> Good on you. Excellent. I tell you what, I didn't even know Verve Clico was a woman. <laughs> That's, I've learned something oh, new as well. well. Mm. what a cool name I should have to find out a bit more about her God. yeah okay cool thank you for that and now um the other bit I really like there's lots that I think I'm going to like in the book when I read it but one of the things that you mentioned was a focus on energy and your call in the book to sort of find it nurture it and sustain it can you elaborate a bit more on why you feel it's so important energy is everything it's basic physics you know nothing can happen you can't get started you can't get sparked you can't move without energy and in business it's what makes a difference the difference 
for people to actually get things done. And spending time as someone in business working out how to find your energy and sustain it can make all the difference. So Paul Polman, who is the global CEO of Unilever, has a very strong purpose for the organization, spends all his time on planes, lots of pressure from his shareholders, lots of pressure from, it, from his employees, lots of pressure he places on himself to deliver. But he says that he firmly believes that time management isn't the answer, energy management is. Uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, that's his recruitment criteria. He asks only two questions of employees, which I think are absolutely brilliant. He says, do they bring clarity and do they bring energy? And for us all, you know how much you can get done when you've got energy. Well, it's as basic as for the brilliant Arianna Huffington Thrive advice, getting the sleep to make sure your mind's clear. Um, it's about being motivated, so having a sense of purpose, believing in what you're you're doing and it's about feeling good and being able to deliver so there's quite a lot you can do to look at and ruthlessly analyze the type of person you are and what you're energized by you know are you an introvert um, one managing director I spoke to uh, really found being with people all the time because he was an introvert quite difficult so he slotted into his day 15 minute slots where he could go back into his office in his diary back into his office and he put music on and listen to it because music energized him other people you know i like the networking bit and seeing people i'm quite energized by spending time with other people so i want to factor that into my diary and make sure i've got time for it um, just thinking about what your energy speed bumps are and, and what you're doing with it can make all the difference to riding those waves and doing it with style excellent and do you think though the only thing that i thought about when i read that was well was in this 24 7 world it's like on all the time i guess if you're at the top of the company maybe easier to do yeah. that yeah. but how about it's hard to switch off isn't it people are expecting you as an employee to be available 24 7 sometimes yeah. How is there something in the book about that, or do you think that that is coming through more strongly in business now that people do need to have downtime, especially with millennials who, you know, just have a different view on some of this stuff than than perhaps my generation? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's very tricky. So one of the themes of the book is to highlight the power of the pause. So it isn't always realistic to just be able to totally stop and this book is aimed at people who do want to make things happen so they may not like the idea of well you know that we get a lot of people around you saying it's all just too busy and you know we all should just slow down we must slow down and they're absolutely right you know we should but sometimes that's not possible or some people don't want to so thinking about it as strategic pauses planned pauses can really help um, and understanding what an energy reset it is when you actually have a proper holiday. Mm. You know, Elon Musk, I think, should have had some more holidays <laughs> recently, really, for sure. Recently, well, you know, and he famously talks about not 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 having them. You need your brain to be able to refresh. All the great sleep understanding um, recently is about that. Your brain is being washed by that pause at night. So there is definitely a need for a greater awareness of what you're doing to your energy if you don't take those pauses and if you aren't consciously 
working out how to manage your energy. And yes, you can say it's easier for someone who's in a, a senior position, but they have more responsibility as well. Um, and yes, you can say, you know, a founder to a startup has the power to do it and they should, but all of us can have some ways of managing what times during the day we work best. So if you're a morning person, you know, try and get your actual thinking work done in the morning, um, plan your diary around it where you can, make spaces for it, and then you've got the energy there to really deliver much quicker. Um, you know, I'm terrible at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, much, much better first thing in the morning, and working around that, can then save me time so I can do more of the sleeping and watching TV and the important things later. Yeah, cool. Okay. So there's more we can all do. And I guess on the flip side of that, the other thing that uh, intrigued me uh, was that you suggested we should fall in love with laziness. I don't know if this is what you were just talking about. I was like, oh, does she mean we should, you know, grab popcorn and chill out in front of Netflix all the time or, or something else? What did you mean by that? It's a very specific thing and it's not about idleness you know if you want to succeed you do have to work hard I mean that is true but there's this great concept around strategic laziness that I want people to think about right so if you're a leader strategic laziness could be just about getting better at delegation and extreme delegation letting other people learn but also making sure you only do the bits that only you can do don't try and do everything. Uh, for a busy person, any of us, um, you know, trying to balance everything, it might be about outsourcing or simplifying things. One um, very successful female um, business leader I spoke to talked about the moment when she outsourced her ironing um, to the dry cleaners being a really important pivot point in her career because it was one less thing to worry about and choosing what you care about, you know, the, um, the working mums who stress about the baking their own birthday cakes for the kids, the moments when they say, actually, that's not the most important thing. Being a little bit lazy in different areas can help. Um, Bill Gates is alleged to have said that if you want anything done, you give it to a lazy person because they'll work out the shortcut. They'll work out the easy <laughs> And that's true. So think like a lazy person. What's a piece of technology that will do this for you? What's a shortcut to it? And that kind of thinking can really speed you up. Brilliant. I've got another story from history about laziness. Go, go for it. Can we tell you? Yeah. Yes, go for it. Yep. Um, so this is, a, this is a guy who was a very senior officer in the German army, pre-Hitler. He resigned before Hitler came. Von Hammerstein Eckhord. And he gave this great uh, analysis of any body of men, so any group of people, and what they tend to fall into. Um, and he said, in any army, for example, you can classify officers into four simple groups. So there are clever, diligent, stupid, and lazy officers. But normally, you get two characteristics combined. So if you think of a, a cross matrix, lazy to diligent and stupid to clever, in one box, you get some people who are clever and diligent. So they're smart and they're hardworking. And their place is the general staff. So the next lot are stupid and lazy. They make up 90% of every army and are suited to routine duties. 
you have to be really careful of anyone who is stupid and hardworking. They mustn't be entrusted with any responsibility because they'll always cause mischief. But, and this is the point, he said, anyone who is both clever and lazy is qualified for the highest leadership duties because he possesses the intellectual clarity and the composure necessary for difficult decisions. So this is the point. You have to be strategically lazy if your job involves making difficult decisions. You have to keep your cognitive load. You mustn't have 100 different decisions being made every single day. Keep your mind clear and your sense of energy there so that you can make the difficult decisions and make them fast. Oh, I like that. I haven't heard that before. Clever and lazy. Oh, that's, I, I shall aspire to, to do that. I, I, I was listening to uh, um, someone recently and she was saying, because you know, there's a lot of perfectionists out there, mm. especially you know, it, and, and women particularly, I think, fall into that trap and uh, entrepreneurs sometimes do. But going for B minus, you know, getting it done mm. rather than going for the A. And I, that yep. sort of resonated with me. But this, this as well, I shall, shall think about that. That's brilliant. Cool. I like that. And I also loved when you said about extreme delegation. I had this picture in my head of someone on a like some Ethan Hunt Mission Impossible. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I could, there's, there's definitely a cartoon somewhere there for extreme. <laughs> Love it. Um, good. And then the other thing I wanted to pick up was you talked about micro learning. What was mm-hmm. that, and and why should we do it? Micro learning is bite-sized nuggets regularly consumed. So. If you look at the decay of information in people's minds, if you hold traditional you know, leadership learning sessions or people go on courses, a week later they've forgotten half the, the brilliant insights that they found. So if there are ways in which you can um, learn as you go in small digestible pieces, it'll be more effective and you'll get that sense of mastery. So I think organisations particularly who build that in a involves um, people coaching other people it involves shorter sharper shots of stimulation rather than you know big traditional I've gone on a course and then forgotten about it Um, and I think it's a a choice we can all make so we can listen to great podcasts we can read books we can um, consume the right things that are small bits of micro learning rather than necessarily going to do an MBA or you know going off to to study everything's the degree anymore it's a faster, different way of consuming what you want to, to help you develop. I'm a, I'm a massive believer in that. In my corporate career, you know, you, you, it is a sacrifice because you want to send someone off and have the least disruption, so sending them off for a day. Mm. But I so believe in modular training where they have an opportunity to implement and get feedback. And, and that, you know, because otherwise, like you say, it's all, you know, back in the office the environment's yeah. different and it all goes out the window so that's I think that's a really great tip but it doesn't have to be something that they go to even it's something that they can do I think that's you know organizations need to recognize as you say there are other ways of supporting people to learn than you know chalk and talk and you know all that the, the sort of going on mm-hmm. traditional sorts of courses and stuff brilliant that's excellent Thank you for that. There's some amazing stuff in there and I hope uh, people rush out and get the book, which we'll, we'll put a link to in the show notes. But I wanted to talk now about your speaking. So you and I met at a panel event, mm-hmm. and you were the MC, 
and uh, and you were very good at at geeing the rest of us up on the panel to get organized so that the audience got the most out of the the event so how do you, do you speak often uh, not often enough definitely um, so I've been lucky enough to do quite a few speaker events in the last couple of years and to do a few panel hosting um, I love being an MC and a panel host it suits my curious mind um, and I really like speaking and sharing stories um, about what I've learned and what's happening so it is something that I'm working on and I'm very interested in in your thoughts and feedback and ideas and and looking at micro learning around this because I do want to speak more and learn how to uh, get out there and, and speak more regularly. And I'm lucky enough to be asked to do it, but just not often enough. Possibly, I think, with the advent of the book, that probably is going to, uh, you're, you're going to be more in demand, I should imagine, when people get their hands. Yes, I'm sure you will. So for, for when you do do it, though, how, how do you go about, you know, putting stuff together? I mean, let's talk about for being an MC because we don't often talk about being an MC on the show. It's more being a speaker. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, what are you, when you're being an MC, what are the key things that you want to get out on things that you do to get the best out of the event? So being an MC uh, requires thinking about the people who are going to be on the panel um, and how, we can, how they can be as prepared as possible. Um, so understanding what they can bring and, and preparing and being able to focus on them. I think um, there is always the opportunity with any kind of speaking to have some critical friends, people who can give you feedback, um, people you can run things past. Um, so either as you're preparing, getting another point of view on how does this sound um, in the preparation and asking someone in the audience to give you feedback. Um, it's really handy when you've got somebody who can then say to you afterwards, that bit landed really well, but that bit, you just threw it away, it didn't happen. So I, I think having people who can help you really, really is a useful tip. Cool. And, and uh, are you, do you get anxious about speaking or do you get nervous when you do it a little but i i enjoy it and it, that does depend on uh, how much time i've had to prepare and, and how and how and to practice of course i think with everybody but of course everybody has uh, their nervousness about standing up in front of different audiences always harder when it's people you know when it's friends i think um and uh, i quite like I've been um, reading quite a lot of Dan Pink uh, recently, who's a motivational, brilliant business author. But he also used to be a speech writer. Mm-hmm. And he has a really, really good tip, which has helped a lot in both when I'm preparing speeches specifically and also when I'm working with clients and friends who are doing the same. And his mantra uh, says there are three things, always three things, power of three, yes. um, in a great speech. And they are brevity, levity, and repetition. I'll say it again, brevity, levity, and repetition. And that as a framework can really help in your preparation and in relaxing you a little bit um, to make, and making sure you get the message across. So that's the bit, the repetition bit. You know, have I mentioned this? Can I be absolutely clear? Um, because good speaking isn't just about being enjoyable and making people feel like they've had a good time so often the speeches i'm making i want to help people i want to get a message across i want to make some points so repeating those is more important than i think i used to realize 
It, it really is. I like that. Brevity, levity, and repetition. And obviously, I mean, you see politicians use repetition all the time. I mean, Tony Blair did, Obama does, you know, or did and does still when he speaks. It's, it's, it is really important. And there was one tip that I heard, which we had on a previous podcast, which if you haven't come across it, just for you to take away, is um, someone once said that in order for someone to remember something, the audience to remember something, if you just say, if you only remember one thing from this talk, remember this. And, and it was amazing how many people actually remembered it. So that's a, a sort of another a thing to sort of use. Really good. Smashing. Well, thank you so much for that. Now I have some standard questions. First, what's speaking done for you? You know, what's it brought to you um, it, when you've done it so far? New friends. Excellent. There is always one person in the audience who thinks in a similar way or has something to offer who uh, comes and finds you afterwards or connects through. Link. I love social media because people can connect um, and you find people who think like you or um, want to discuss things in a different way. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a great way to get out and meet people. And what's, have you had a bad gig so far? What's been your worst speaking experience so far? Just that awful feeling when you go home and you remember that you forgot something really important in the middle um, and or you just didn't connect with the audience. And through my work, I do end up speaking to quite varied audiences. Um, and it is just the high you get from giving a great speech is so fantastic. If you don't get that um, dopamine hit, that, that adrenaline rush afterwards, and you go away thinking, meh, it's just a horrible feeling. And it's amazing, though, how the bad ones linger longer than the good ones, though, isn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> but again, if you've got, if you, I mean, um, caffeine, we always um, hunt in pairs and we work in pairs, because if you've got someone there who can give you feedback, it didn't land well because you swore and it's a, it's a, <laughs> um, a very conservative audience or it didn't land well because we just couldn't hear you. Um, there are things you can't see yourself. So having you know, your friends around you to be able to help with that so you don't do it again. It's good. That's it, that's it. Yeah, brilliant. Now, uh, what is the best book that you've read and why? I guess the one that had most impact on you. Uh, the best business book, because it's probably most relevant for this, uh, is a 1930s book, um, which is How to Win Friends and Influence uh, People. Yeah. And I hadn't read it until three or so years ago, um, and a friend said, it's really interesting. And what it gives you is an insight in to how difficult it is to change people's minds. And the reason why that's important is because it maybe helps when you're trying to understand what's happening politically at the moment. There's Brexit and other things that are going on, um, and it's a, it's really worth reading. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I might be slightly blasphemous here, but in some ways, you know, I've read that book, and so many people that I respect and admire have that book to hand all the time, and it is almost like another Bible, in like in terms of a way to treat people and a way to behave yourself mm -hmm. to get the best out of people in life. It, it is it is you know up there, I think, with some of the the most sort of important text that we've got thank you for that and i'll put the link in the show notes and what's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why 
a very good friend of mine said about four or five years ago to me, darling, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. <laughs> and it's a really good bit of advice for anybody in a super fast world, anyone trying to achieve things, anyone just trying not to collapse from the weight of expectation from everybody around you, choosing what you do, trying to focus on less, editing your life and your priorities down makes things so much easier. When it's a choice and you've decided what your anti-goals are and what you don't do, it really, really helps you feel better and slightly more sane. Brilliant. Back to that strategic laziness almost, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And if you could choose a mentor, and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Difficult because, um, and apparently, apparently women are terrible at this because they tend to want to take bits and bobs of different people rather than choosing one person. Um, I think it would be really fun to, you know what, it would be really fun to have Steve Jobs as a mentor. Now, admittedly, his attitude to family and personal life is not something uh, to be, to borrow. Um, but he had a way with the words um, and seeing the way in which his mind has worked from a business point of view would be really handy to borrow from time to time and have that as a mentor. I don't think that um, a mentor does have to be a role model um, in all things. You know, everybody's fallible. Um, and I think one of the dangers in, in looking at leaders is, you know, whether they're politicians or business leaders, is that you want people to be good at everything and perfect at everything, and that's really hard. But I think that um, what Steve Jobs has done to encourage people to focus um, and to show the resilience and the turnaround that you can get from taking Apple to being from being close to bankruptcy, you know, 21 years later, it was it's a trillion dollar company or whatever it is. It's a great story, and having someone around who can give ideas and insights like that would be quite handy. Yeah, I think that's the first time we've had Steve Jobs actually, and I think you're right. We're all human. None of us is perfect, and so just because you're successful in business doesn't make you the great all-round person that's a a good choice thank you you didn't ask if I wanted him to be my dad or my husband (laughs) which would be a totally different thing but a mentor perfect Sophie thank you so much for everything that you've shared now tell uh people so the book comes out tomorrow is available on Amazon presumably where where is it available how can they get hold of it so it's on Amazon UK um, where it got to number one in the pre-order charts for business books, change management, really exciting last week. So it's there at the moment it's on special offer. Um, so it's a good time to get it. Um, so it's Amazon, um, hardback and Kindle. Um, and it's on amazon.com as well. If, if anyone's listening from the States, um, and as they say, you know, in theory, any good bookstore as well. Um, so, uh, if you see it in shops near you and if it's not there, let me know, but hopefully it'll be out there and I'll sell a couple of copies I hope I'm sure you will and also how can um, people find out more about you and caffeine and working with with you with the organization well come and find out a bit more about us at thisiscaffeine.com 
Um, I'm on Twitter, um, S underscore Devonshire, um, and Caffeine Partner is also on Twitter. Um, so please come find me there or on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you and hear what you thought of the show and what we've been talking about because it's been so interesting to, to chat to you about it all. Brilliant. Well, I really appreciate you uh, giving me and, and listeners your time. And I'll put the links to the, the Caffeine website and also to Sophie's LinkedIn and Twitter handle as well in the show notes. But all that remains for me to say to you, Sophie, is thank you again. Really appreciate it. Good luck with the book. I don't think you'll need it, but good luck. And uh, yeah, and speaking, how can people book you to speak? Would that be through Caffeine as well? come find us okay cool excellent thank you ever so much sophie thank you it's such an honor to be on the show really love it you're welcome thank you some great tips there many i've not come across before and which i'll be putting into practice i many of us speakers and entrepreneurs who are building our businesses find it hard to pause and also to celebrate our successes but it's vital, I think, to take a step back and do this in order to fuel the energy and passion we need to achieve the ultimate goals we're aiming for. Well, links are in the show notes to get the book and connect with Sophie. And it would be great if you could say hi to her on Twitter or LinkedIn and let her know if anything resonated with you. Come and say hi to me also on Twitter at Sarah Archer 15 It's great to hear from you and to connect. And all that's left for me to say is have an amazing rest of this week. Maybe have a chill this weekend and then go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye bye. Hey, if you're listening to the show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.